Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. What are the reasons that we resist participating in God's mission? In today's teaching, we see that Jesus called his disciples to step boldly into a bigger story. Even though it takes courage and creativity, we can trust that we are never alone. It's great to be with you all. We're going to be in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, you can begin turning there now. We're going to pick up partly where we left off last time in our sermon series. Last week I looked at 1 through 15, and today we're going to primarily look at 16 through 23, but I'm also going to pick up some sections that we didn't get to last week. And just as a quick recap of where we are in this sermon series, maybe you haven't been with us in a while, maybe you're a guest. Where we've been so far in Matthew is we've seen Jesus teaching what the kingdom of God looks like, showing how he has come to bring dominion back to the earth, exercising his power over the authorities in the world, over Satan, over his forces, bringing healing. And now, Jesus is telling his disciples, now it's your turn. Now I'm sending you out. Two weeks ago, Scott gave a really great, really helpful introduction to this new section that we're in, which kind of starts in Matthew 9 and goes through the next several chapters. I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. I don't know, kind of alluded to this last week, I don't know if you're a sermon listener. Like if you miss a Sunday, if you listen to the, if, if you listen to that sermon that you missed, but that's really, really important. I would just encourage you to make that a practice. I know John Piper's really great. I know Tim Keller's amazing. I know there's all these other pastors that you could listen to, but Scott and I are your pastors. Our preaching is not the best in the world. But no one else is your shepherd. So I would really encourage you to make listening to sermons a priority, especially if you missed it, especially if you've missed it in these last couple of weeks of where we've been. Anyway, but one of the things that Scott talked about in this new section is realizing that being a disciple equals being on mission with Jesus and his people. There's no such thing as being a disciple who's not on mission with Jesus and his people. There's no such thing as a disciple who's not participating in the life and story of what God is doing. Now, if that's kind of sinking in, let that sink in. What about all these Christians who are like, oh, well, I don't really need to be part of a church. Oh, I don't really need to have life with God's people. Well, then why do you think you're a Christian? Because you pray to prayer? Because you maybe try not to sleep around or drink too much? That is so not the essence of being a Christian. So anyway, Scott gave this great introduction to seeing Being a disciple means we are being sent out. And so we see Jesus sending out his guys. Jesus sends out these 12 disciples at the beginning of Matthew 10. 12 disciples who we said last week were not quite like Jesus sending out the Avengers, more like sending out the Three Stooges onto mission. These guys were not only everyday Joes, But they were a very diverse group of people. They weren't all just pious followers of the God of Israel. They would have been the progressives, the conservatives, the hardcore MAGA followers, the blue-collar worker, the lawyer. Jesus is sending out this incredibly diverse group of people, showing that all different types of people are going to be sent out on mission. 
And then we looked at what was the work they were going out to do. They weren't going out to combat their opponents. They were going out to exercise authority over Satan and his forces. We also looked at the way in which they were sent out. But so now, if you remember last week, there's a couple sections we skipped over that we didn't have time for. So we're going to look at that today. And I think that this section that we're in now, Scott and I were just talking about this this week, it's really important because this section directly correlates to what it means for us to be Jesus people here in Hampton Roads, here in 2022. And today, what we're going to see is that the result of mission will be persecution. The result of mission will be persecution. But you have to think about this because what Jesus is going to tell them, we're going to, look at, we're going to hear the passage read in just a second. Jesus is telling his disciples, you're going to be dragged into court. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be whipped. Your family is going to betray you, all because you're following me. I would venture to guess that's not going to happen to any of us this week. So how do we apply a passage like this to our life? That's what we're going to look at today. But first, let's read this section. I'm going to ask Josh to come up. This is Josh Mistentone. He's one of my friends. He serves here at Redemption. He's going to read our scripture passage for us today. We're going to look at Matthew 10, verses 5 through 23. Matthew 10, 5 through 23. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you will say. For what you are to say will, not be, will be given to you in that hour. For it is not who you, you who speak, but the spirit of the, your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and fa- the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all of the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Thanks, Josh. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask for your help right now to hear your word to us. God, thank you that this morning it's not my work, it's not my preparation that's going to speak into hearts. It is your spirit working through your word. So we ask, Spirit, that we would have confidence in you. 
God, thank you for how you have met me this week in this study, in this passage. God, thank you for the ways this passage is already bearing fruit and working in redemption. So God, I pray now for all of us as we look at this, that you would give us grace to understand where you are calling us to be faithful disciples, where you are sending us to go. Thank you, Jesus, that we are confident that you will do this. Amen. So as we had looked at last week in the sermon from last week, one of the main things we looked at was the people of mission, that first point, the people of mission. That was kind of one of our main categories. We looked at how Jesus sent out these 12. Remember, we talked about that the fact that it was 12 wasn't Jesus trying to be cute and have like a similar number. It's like, oh yeah, remember the 12 tribes of Israel? Now I've got 12 guys over here. See? Aha. No, Jesus was showing that he was reclaiming, reconstituting Israel, not around the law, not around the temple, but around himself that the mission of God was now going forward through Jesus. We looked at the work of mission. What was the work that they were going to be doing? Remember I made that comment about Jesus was sending them out knowing who the real enemy was. Remember how I alluded to that line from the Hunger Games? That when Katniss is being sent into the Hunger Games, she's going to face people who are going to try to kill her. But her trainer says to her, remember who the real enemy is. It's not those people out there you see. There is another real enemy. And so Jesus sends his disciples out knowing this is why you have to go out. Because Satan and his forces are oppressing these villages and towns. People have demons in them. People are dying and are sick because of demonic forces. So go and you now have authority over those places where people are living in darkness and isolation and fear and anger and unforgiveness. You now go, what do you say? As healers. You bring healing where Satan has brought destruction. But we also looked at the way they were sent out, the way of mission. Look at verses 9 and 10. They were sent out without, look, it says copper, silver, gold. That's like an escalation. I think it actually goes the other way around. Gold, uh, silver, copper. Jesus is telling them, don't bring provision. Don't bring an extra pair of sandals. Don't bring a staff. He's telling them, you're going to go out in such a way that it will be evident the Father's providing for you. So when you're sent on mission, make it evident that the Father is providing for you. But then now, this is where we kind of left off last week. We need to see that the way they're sent out also means you need to accept the hospitality of strangers. Accepting the hospitality of strangers. Look at verses 11 to 13. In this type of work that Jesus was sending them out to do is this itinerant type of missionary work where they're going to travel from place to place and never stay anywhere too long, Jesus makes it clear that they were supposed to rely on strangers to take care of them. They were to enter various homes and not just proclaim the kingdom, but look for help from the local people. And back in ancient times, this would have been a normal thing to do. But the point Jesus is making is you need to look for the right kind of people. You need to look for people, he says, who are worthy. Well, what does that mean? Who is that, those people? What Jesus is saying is you need to notice and perceive where people are open to the reception of the kingdom. You need to look for places where it's evident the kingdom of God is maybe breaking in here with these people. Let's stay here. Jesus is telling them to look for where you have an inroad. Some writers call this looking for people of peace, people who are open to friendship, people who are open to receiving. 
at least hearing the good news of the gospel. This means ultimately that they are to look for who do you have favor with and stay there. So if you think about that, in light of our day, we're not traveling around sharing the gospel, staying in strangers' houses, but we're, inter we're interacting with all kinds of people all of the time. People who maybe you get along with, people maybe who you don't. Who do you think the Spirit is giving you favor with? Who do you have a really easy time getting along with at work? Who's the neighbor who you know doesn't love Jesus, but at least is open to friendship? Do you think the Spirit might be sending you there? Understanding that this is what Jesus is doing, of calling us to see who do you have a natural inroad with? That's one very easy way that we can see this passage coming to bear here in 2022. So not only does Jesus, though, tell them, accept and be reliant on the hospitality of strangers, but he also tells them that they can take confidence in God's judgment. Look at verses 14 and 15. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Notice Jesus is telling them what's going to happen. He's actually predicting, here's how this is going to go down. He's telling them that they can have confidence that not only is their message true, but it will be God himself who vindicates the truth of that message. Jesus is showing that not only will God himself punish those who reject the message of the kingdom, but he's saying that to reject the disciples of Jesus is to reject God himself. Do you see that? So he's telling them, you can take confidence in that, that judgment will not be on you. You're not the ones to judge, but you can be confident that God himself will certainly be the one to see that happen. That's why it says they're supposed to shake the dust off their sandals. See that little passage in there? When Israelites were traveling from foreign land back into their home country, they would literally actually like knock their sandals and get the dust of that place off, meaning we're done with that. We're moving back home. I have done the work, and now it's up to God to judge. That's what that is alluding to. So this doesn't mean that they were to rejoice over the fact that people would be in a worse place than those who were at Sodom and Gomorrah, but rather they can be confident that not only is their message true, but God himself is going to vindicate the message through judgment by proving, yeah, this is real. This is the real story. Our friend N.T. Wright says this, this, these directions about entering and leaving a town show that the message isn't a take it or leave it option. They weren't suggesting to people a new religious experience that they could have, a new teaching that might help them, you know, with all the tricky moral decisions we face in life. No, they weren't even offering people assurance of God's salvation. It was more urgent still. God's kingdom was rushing upon them like an express train, and they had to get ready for it. This is why we have to talk about the reality of judgment. We have to talk about the reality of hell which is not popular in our day to talk about. But friends, we would be unfaithful to Scripture if we jumped over this verse. We would be unfaithful to the good news of the gospel if we jumped over the fact that judgment is a reality. That when people reject the message of the gospel that we're seeking to bring them, they're not ultimately rejecting us. They're rejecting Jesus. 
And that bears with it true and right judgment. That bears with it true and right separation from God for eternity. This is why there's no such thing as, well, you have your truth and that's good for you, but, but I think this is true. I think the Bible's true for me over here. Friends, there's no such thing as you have your truth, I have mine. Jesus claims to have all truth and all authority given to him. That means that to reject him is to certainly face judgment. And so we've seen so far in this passage, the people of mission, the work of mission, the way of the mission, and now we land at verse 16, the result of the mission. The result of the mission, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. One commentator described this as Jesus is like taking them up on this roller coaster and they're getting higher and they're seeing everything they're going to be sent out to do. And now they're looking over the abyss of, wait, what in the world are we doing? What are you talking about, Jesus? But one thing that's going to be helpful for us to understand is in this section, specifically 16 to 23, that little passage there in your Bible, Jesus is giving them what, to me, this was a helpful way to understand it. He's giving them a prophetic narrative. He's telling them a story. He's not giving verse-by-verse application of, here's how you do this to be my people. Here's how you do this to be my people. I want you to go here and do this. He's literally telling them a story of, here's what's going to go down. Here's the way it's going to happen. And I'm prophesying this for you. Look at verse 16. We're just going to walk through this super quick. Jesus says he's sending them out, that they're supposed to be innocent and discerning, but they're going out to where the wolves are. They're going to be captured, arrested. They're going to be whipped, dragged before kings and rulers, all because they're claiming that Jesus is king. Verse 19. But Jesus says he's going to equip them. He's going to give them words to say. So that doesn't need to be their worry. He then tells them that even their own families will turn on them, but if they endure to the end, Jesus himself will deliver, rescue, save them. Friends, if you read the book of Acts, that's what you see go down. If you read the epistles written by later followers of Jesus, this is literally what you see happening time and time again, that Jesus is giving them this prophetic narrative, and then that's how the rest of the New Testament plays out, that they go out and they are persecuted, and Jesus delivers, rescues, saves them in a lot of different ways. So if we can realize that, then that's going to be really helpful for us to say, well, how does this apply to us in Hampton Roads in 2022 when none of us is worried about getting beaten up for following Jesus today? So how can we apply this to us today? I want to draw out three specific ways that we can see this speaking to us today. Number one, Jesus says, don't be shocked at the persecution, but rather take courage at who is sending you. Take courage at who is sending you. As I already said, none of us are living with a threat of death on our hands. None of us is worried about being turned over to the Chesapeake Police Department because we're following Jesus. But you will face opposition when you step into mission. As you call people into obedience with Jesus, they, oh, there will be people who reject you. As you try to love and serve people, have you ever experienced this? You're trying to love and serve people. What often happens? They hate you for it. What do you think, I need you? They hate you for trying to love them. They will reject you. If you choose to center your life around Jesus and his people, 
There will be people who reject you for that and tell you that's a stupid decision to do. Even this week, maybe you felt opposition. This week, maybe you felt persecution. Maybe it was spiritual work where you felt condemnation, you felt conviction, you felt persecution, people going against you. I know I've felt a lot of opposition this week in a lot of different ways. I think for all of us Christians, both older and younger people, we're going to face opposition in a variety of different ways. It could be the stance you take on certain issues in the public square. It could be your views on sexuality, your views on the human body. It could be your views on the priority and the centrality of the church. It could be for certain roles in politics. It could be your family. You will face opposition in all kinds of areas. For some of our younger folks, younger folks meaning maybe if you're like 100 and under, you will face opposition if you rely on the story of God to tell you what sexuality means in our day and age. If you rely on the story of God to tell you what being a man or a woman is, you will certainly face opposition. What's crazy, you could only be six or seven years old and be facing that opposition now. You will face opposition from people who think that Jesus is just really stupid. People who think Christianity is archaic or misogynistic or oppressive. And if Jesus is right, some of us are going to face opposition from our own family who will reject Jesus. Parents, your own kids turning on you. Kids or younger folks who choose to follow Jesus and the rest of your family is telling you you're an idiot for doing that. That's a reality. Maybe for some of you, you've experienced that. You will have people step out of the orbit of your life if you center your life on Jesus. You will lose friendships. And I think probably for all of us, maybe the way you took a stand on the centrality of the local church coming out of COVID even has completely rechanged the landscape of your friendships. Of seeing people leave life, community, because they view the local church differently than you. So what's our confidence supposed to be? Knowing that we're going to face opposition. Knowing that people are going to come against us. Verse 16. Who's sending you? I am sending you. I am the one sending you, Jesus says, to your school. I'm the one sending you to your neighbor's backyard to hang out with them. I'm the one sending you to the people who are really, really hard to love. I'm the one sending you to the places, to the relationships, to the work environments, to the settings where you don't know how it's going to go down. You don't know what they're going to say. But I'm sending you. I'm going with you there. And again, what's amazing is that the opposition comes when we step out in obedience on mission to where Jesus is sending us. But he calls us to take courage, not only because he's sending us, but look at verse 19 and 20. He's going to give you the words to say. Not only is he going to give you the courage to actually go and take the step of faith, if you're called to speak, he's going to give you the words. One commentator said, don't worry, you're literally just the mouth. All you do is show up 
God used my mouth. He's telling them, you don't have to worry about that. I will help you see what you're supposed to say. It's not even you speaking. It is the acting, living spirit of God empowering you to show and to proclaim. Here's what the kingdom looks like here. So even before we go on to our next point, I just want to ask you, where right now is it possible that you are relying on your own gut, your own feelings of anxiety, your own feelings of dread to actually allow those voices to be dictating instead of the voice of Jesus saying, I'm sending you. Is this voice the loudest one right now? So we see Jesus doesn't just send them to go out blindly or telling them, just buck up and find your courage and go. No, no, he tells them to go in a very specific way. Look again at 16. He says to them, use wisdom and critical thinking and discernment when you go. He's telling them, you're going to go out as sheep, literally surrounded by wolves. So obviously that's going to be a slaughter fest, if you think about that. But he says, be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. Serpents don't go looking for danger. They're discerning. Sheep don't go out looking for a fight. They're looking for peace. So what is Jesus telling them? I think one really important thing for the church at large, and maybe for some of us here to, to see, is Jesus is telling us, don't be stupid Christians. Because if we're honest, sometimes Christians do the stupidest things. We say and do things that are the exact opposite of the kingdom. We give into the cultural, political climate and just spew venom back as venom's being spewed at us. Rather than saying, what does discernment and wisdom look like here? Most of the time, it probably just means shutting up. Maybe some of you need to hear that. We often say, well, I'm defending Jesus. Friend, you're defending yourself. Being wise as serpents and innocent as doves means communicating in winsome ways where people can actually look at our life and how we're living and say, I might not believe the same as you, but I certainly wish that was true. It's one thing that Tim Keller regularly talks about with his church. Don't try to convince and force people to believe. Make them look at your life and say, wow, I wish that was true. Because then you literally take them to the open grave of Jesus and say, but what if it is true? What would it mean if it, this is true? For us as followers of Jesus, we need discernment and wisdom in our interactions in everyday life with people who do not believe in Jesus. And what's crazy is that we often think that being a Christian means, oh, I'm supposed to be so moral that people are going to look at me and be like, whoa, you're so moral. I must follow Jesus too. Friends, that's not how we're supposed to attract people to Jesus. People should actually look at us in these crazy, uncertain times we live in and say, holy crap, how are those people so confident? Holy crap, how are those people so strong when everybody's falling apart? Because they're not going to be looking at us. They're going to actually see the life of Jesus in us. So we need to live in ways that show the kingdom. We need to live in ways that show we're not getting our strength, our provision from the same places as everywhere else. That's what we talked about earlier. Jesus sends them out without gold and copper and silver and no staff and no extra tunic and find a place to stay. He's telling them, make it evident that you're trusting in God. 
So to be wise and discerning means, as I go out, how do I make it evident that I'm trusting in God? I think for some of us, this means that in situations where everybody's losing their head, wisdom and discernment means, wait a minute, what's actually going on in this situation? If the kingdom of God is breaking in here, it's breaking in because I'm here, what would it look like to show that kingdom there? And again, another obvious point is don't go sniffing out danger. To be innocent as doves and wise as serpent means don't go looking for a fight, but also don't back down from a fight if it means compromising on the mission. Because sometimes the mission will take us to dangerous places. So to avoid that would be compromising the mission. But we also don't just want to be idiots going and looking for the danger. Does that make sense? That's why Jesus will later tell them, if they persecute you here, we'll try to escape and go somewhere else where the message will be received. So a couple quick questions on this point for us. Where right now do you need discernment? Where right now do you need discernment with the people and the places where Jesus is sending you? Parents, where do you need discernment with your kids? For those of you in the education world or going to school, where do you need discernment? In your neighborhood, in your work relationships, where do you need discernment? Are you avoiding danger? Danger, meaning, oh, that's awkward, or oh, that might be uncomfortable, or oh, I don't know what to do if I go in that kind of situation, so I just won't go there. Are you avoiding, quote, danger, but actually compromising the mission? Are you avoiding the need for wisdom and discernment by just sidestepping the need for it anyway? Well, if I stepped over there, I'd need wisdom and discernment, so how about I just don't step over there? Are you avoiding uncomfortable people because you don't want to use discernment and thus do you just step out of life with Jesus and his people? Friends, we're called to be wise, discerning, people who are able to read the signs and times, people who are able to look at the world and see what's happening. We're called to understand how the good news of Jesus speaks into all kinds of areas of life. That means areas of science or politics or sexuality or any of these areas that are really pressing in today. Are you willing to do the work to say, I need to think critically about this? Oh, wow, I have this new friend or neighbor or coworker who has these certain views. Am I willing to do the work and say, how does the gospel speak into that? Are we just being lame and lazy? So far, we've looked at Jesus calling us to take courage. We've seen the need to be discerning. But Jesus calls us to something more, though. And I think for some of us, we need to realize that Jesus calls us to something that is perhaps one of the greatest words in the whole Christian vocabulary. You heard me right. Jesus is going to call us here to something that is one of the greatest words in the whole Christian vocabulary that some of us maybe need to learn for the first time and some of us maybe need to relearn this. Jesus calls us to endurance. He calls us to endurance. He says, you will need endurance in persecution and in opposition. Verse 22, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Friends, opposition's going to come. It's going to be really easy to give up. This week has met me with a lot of places where it's like, well, 
kind of just want to give up right now. Relational tension, having to overcome certain obstacles, having to emotionally figure out how to walk through certain situations, facing my own weakness, my own doubts, my own insecurities, being met and confronted with my own sin. It's really tempting to give up, isn't it? I mean, that was just my week. I'm sure each of you could give testimony to the many areas where you were sent or where you were tempted to maybe just give up in general, but then especially as you think about the hard places Jesus might call us to, oh man, sometimes I don't even want to start there. And if we're honest, like brutally honest, and we put aside our Christian facade that sometimes we think we just need to, oh, well, yeah, I just need to buck up and follow Jesus and be brave all the time. No, if we're honest, really honest with ourselves, if we're just trying to find the best way to secure our future, then giving up might be the best bet. If our job is to stay safe and secure and to avoid any opposition, giving up might be the best bet. If our goal is to arrive at the end unscathed and unharmed, then giving up following Jesus might be the best bet. But what does Jesus say? He says, those who endure will be delivered. They will be saved. Friends, this is directing us to where our true confidence lies. This is directing us to where our true comfort and security lies. Not in beds of ease, not in taking the easy road. That's not where our true comfort and security is going to come. Oh, sure, you'll get temporary comfort and security. No. Our true comfort lies in going with Jesus where he is. Our true comfort lies in being with Jesus on the front lines. This passage is showing us that no unforeseen tragedy will ever happen except that which Jesus has deemed to be right. No unforeseen tragedy will ever happen except that which Jesus has brought and deemed to be right. So if you think about this, this is, I was literally thinking about this yesterday as I was like working through my notes and thinking about this. Like, This means that when we are sitting in places of being judged, condemned, opposed, persecuted, when we feel the world damning us for our life, for our views, for the way we're choosing to follow Jesus, when we feel the opposition of Satan and his forces pressing against us, bringing condemnation and lies to us, our, the sins of our past, the ways that we struggle. Verse 23 says, the Son of Man is coming. That means that when the world is standing in judgment over us, we know who's really in the docket. The good news of the gospel tells us you're actually removed from the docket. You're actually not the one being judged. As Satan and his forces and the powers of the world are judging us, they're actually heaping condemnation on themselves. This paradox of the gospel means that when we are in places of doubt and weakness and feel persecuted, we really know what's happening. We really know that the real judgment is not just coming in the future, but it's already being played out. And friends, that's why we can be bold in opposition. That's why when we feel opposed, we can actually say, wait a minute, 
I'm not in the docket right now. I actually know what's really going on right now. The gospel has not only removed us from the docket of condemnation, but it shows us how the tables have turned on Satan and on all who would oppose Jesus. And this is why Jesus tells his followers to be steadfast, to endure, to stand firm, to keep on following Jesus, even when it's really, really hard, even when faced with doubt or sin or temptation to compromise. And Redemption Church, that's where we're at right now, facing opposition from all fronts, inside of us, outside of us, wrestling through issues within our own church family, within our leadership, within our missional communities, facing all this pressure to, oh man, this is just tough. This is hard. I'm going with you. Take courage. I'm going to show you what to say and be with you. And trust me, if you endure, oh, you're going to see what I'm going to do. Some closing questions for us. If you think about it, this passage doesn't just tell us what the result of mission will be. It doesn't just show us the way of mission. This passage shows us why do we avoid mission? Why do we avoid stepping into the really hard work of being a disciple of Jesus? Why do we avoid that and look for the easy way? Well, first off, we, well, there's, there's, I've got three specific reasons. First off, we're afraid. We are afraid that Jesus might not really meet us. So what do we need? We need that courage from point number one. Wait a minute. He's going with us. So I don't need to live in fear. Second reason that we avoid mission church is we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do when we show up. We don't even know where we should be showing up. We don't even know what kind of mission the Spirit might be calling us or our family or our missional community to step into. So what do we need? We need wisdom. We need discernment. But why else do we avoid mission? Because we quit way too quickly. We quit as soon as it gets uncomfortable. If mission gets complex or frustrating, missional community life just ah, doesn't seem to be working. Let's just move on. We quit. What does Jesus call us to? He calls us to endure. So I think right here in this passage, Jesus is showing us, here's why you often avoid mission. Here's why you often avoid life with me and my people. Because we need courage. Because we need wisdom and discernment. Because we need endurance. Another question. How are you fueling your missionary imagination? I want you to think about that. If you truly are being sent as a missionary... And if that's something that we really believe here at a church, that the goal of the church is reclaiming its identity as Jesus' family of servant missionaries, what are you doing to fuel that missionary imagination? To say, wait a minute, if I'm being sent out, how can I receive ways to fuel that, to be creative as I go? Reading your Bible with people definitely helps with that. But I would commend to you reading stories of people, reading stories of those who have gone ahead of us, reading stories of those who didn't have courage, but then the Spirit met them, reading those who didn't have words and the Spirit gave them words, 
reading about those who faced opposition and they endured to the end. I have stories upon stories that I tried to work into this sermon and got to the end of my notes and I was like, well, I'm going to talk for an hour and a half if I share all these stories. But friends, do you know the story of St. Lawrence? Back in the early days of the church, he was faced with opposition from Rome that he had to recant his faith or be burned on a grill. He picked the grill. And in the moment of pain and torture, when they were calling him to recant and then he could get off, do you know what, according to church history, he said to them? Turn me over, this side's done. What in the world? What in the world? Do you know the story of Martin Luther centuries later, who would have certainly known about Lawrence? Martin Luther, who himself was faced with burning at the stake, and he was given the option, recant of all your writings and the truths of the gospel, or you will be burned at the stake? They gave him a night to think about it. What do you think that night was like? He showed up the next day. He said, I cannot, and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do nothing else. Martin Luther was actually delivered from the stake. He didn't end up burning at the stake. And he went on to lead groups of people into reclaiming the good news of the gospel. Do you know the story? I'm going I'm to run out of time here. Do you know the story of Corrie ten Boom? Does anyone know the story of Corrie ten Boom? Yeah, a lot of you. That's amazing. Corrie ten Boom and her sisters lived like, literally like a generation and a half ago. In Europe, the Nazis are coming in. They're followers of Jesus. She was a woman in her 50s, had never been married. Her and her sister and their brother and their dad... They literally seeing the Nazis coming in, capturing Jews, sending people off to concentration camps. You know what they decided to do? To live on mission there? They decided to hide the Jews. They decided to protect people who were facing opposition. There's a, the book about it is fantastic. You need to read it. I mean, need to, that's a strong word. Yes, need to read it. The book is called The Hiding Place. It's definitely a play on words because there was a hiding place where the Jews were hidden. And then there's, there's a hiding place where Corey and her sister found refuge when they were sent to a concentration camp. They got busted. The Jews were safe, but their family got busted, sent off to concentration camps to work to death that the Nazis had. And as they lived in that camp, as they were beaten, as they saw horrors that we could only imagine at the hands of ultimately satanic forces at work, Corey held her dying sister, Betsy, who was dying. She was so sick, she couldn't work. Corey got to go sit with her sister one last time. Her sister said to her, Corey, we're going to be out of here before the year's up. We need to endure, though. We're going to be released before the end of the year. I think this was 1944. But we need to go and tell people that no pit is so deep that he is not deeper still. No pit is so deep that he is not deeper still. And you know what she then said? She said, we will go to them and they will believe us because we've been here. Betsy died and was released 
to be with Jesus. Corey lived out the rest of that year until December 28th. And like her sister Betsy had prophesied, she was released before the year's end. She walked out of that concentration camp a free woman, only months later to find out that it was a complete mistake that she was released. Her and a group of other women were supposed to be sent to be executed. They killed all the women her age, but she had got released. Friends, read stories like this. Fuel your missionary imagination and then say, I was going to live here in Hampton Roads, Chesapeake, Portsmouth, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Suffolk, Newport News. What would it look like for the kingdom of God to be here? One other just last question, dads. Dads specifically, how are you leading your families in this? How are we seeking to show this priority that life with Jesus and his people takes over everything and everything comes subservient to this? Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.